main activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Eerie Americas. This is one of your hosts, Christy Hull. This is your other host, Vicky Ayala. And it feels good being back in front of the mic. Week one of our every other week. How do you feel, Vicky? It feels good. Uh, you know, guys, I've been in school and I just had finals week. So, you know, school's over now. So like, but it was it was just so briefly over. Briefly, I only have like two weeks off. It was just getting so difficult to put the time into record. So it just gave me a little bit of room to breathe. So I appreciate that we didn't get any messages cursing us out. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, it's been pretty good. I've had time to like do some other stuff. And I know that it also gave you some time to actually catch up on something so we can talk about something we've watched. It did, because I had stopped. I basically had only been watching The Office and like New Girl and things I had already watched a million times because I didn't have time to focus on something new. Right. But Something came out, I think, about two weeks ago that I'm pretty sure that anybody who's been listening to our podcast in season one knows that we covered. You guys know we don't cover a lot of popular cases here, but we have done it once each. Like, we each have covered a popular case, and it was in season one. Uh, Christy covered the Manson family. I covered Son of Sam. It was probably one of the most difficult episodes that we've I've ever had to do because it's it's a really popular case that everybody seems to think that they know. And so you can't just like skimp out on research at all. And so, and also there's a lot of details. There's a lot of uh, theories. And it also felt personal because uh, his last crime happened right where I live right now. Like yep. they, the, the Brooklyn shooting was literally probably like three blocks away from where I live right now. He probably walked by your building that night. Probably he parked by where I've taken Lena for a walk. So I, it was a very important case. And for us, it's like introducing it to new people who haven't heard of it because some of you are younger, but I also have like my in-laws and like my sister and like people in my family who were alive at the time, of course, and remember it. So that's like not something you can fuck up. But there was a documentary that came out on Netflix about the son of Sam. So the minute I saw it, and I know the minute Christy saw it, we were kind of like, it's, it's a weird kind of interest because it's more like, I don't want to know about the case. I obviously know the case inside and out. I want to know what they're going to tell me that, that I missed. What new theories, what new evidence, what uh, new anything. And I'm actually really, I watched the documentary. I know Christy watched it. For once, she watched something before I did, which literally never happens. Because I watch shit like the minute it comes out. I have to toot my own horn here why I have to say that that documentary made me realize that I researched the shit out of that case because there is not a single thing that they said in that documentary that I did not say in that Snaps. episode. If you don't know, um, go back to season one. I don't remember the name of the episode, but I'm sure Christy can look it up. I will look it up because I don't remember either. It's been a long time, guys. But there wasn't anything new about it. Like It wasn't until the very last part of the last episode that they even talked about something that I was like, oh, okay, I'll listen to this. Other than that, everything that they said, I had already, I had already said. So it just kind of just made me really happy with that episode because, you know, you always question yourself after you cover an episode and you think, oh my God, what did I miss? Is there something that someone's going to talk about that I didn't, I didn't find? But with that, I have to say I, I did pretty well with it. Um, but I, I think in terms of the actual documentary, I was annoyed at it that it took so long for it to 
present something new. So it didn't. It took, but it, it, it took till the end of the last episode. So if you know this case really well, you just have to really watch episode four. And that's when I get annoyed at things like that. Because that was my opinion on it. But do you think that Berkowitz is still a thousand percent responsible? Or no. And I did, and even when you know when we recorded the episode, I didn't either. I always I presented the evidence that he may have had help. If you guys listen to the episode, I did talk about it. I know he's responsible. I don't think he was the only one responsible. But I also feel like. There's plenty of documentaries on popular cases that I know inside and out that I'll still watch because they have such an interesting approach to how they present the information. And I just felt like it was a little dull to me. Like they kind of just talked at you and they were like, here's all the, like, it was just, it was not interesting to me. There's so many, like with the Night Stalker documentary, that one I didn't think was amazing, but at least that kept me a little bit more invested. Everything they had shown has probably been shown already. And they didn't exactly. present it any in, in, in a new way or in an interesting way to me. And like Christy said, it was like the last, what, 20 minutes. I probably, probably wouldn't have even noticed it if Christy hadn't already told me. She's like, all right, pay attention to the last 25 minutes of the fourth episode. I'm sure it's a great documentary, though, if you've never heard yeah, of the case. Yeah, if it's new for you, then If cool. it's new for you, then it's going to give you all the information that you need. Or if you've even listened to our episode. Which, by the way, it is season one, episode 26, A City Crippled with Fear. That is the son of Sam case that Vicky covered. Season one, episode 26. Which is funny because today, later on when I when we finish everything and we go into the case, I'm actually covering, uh, I'm covering a topic that we discussed two episodes before that. This is what I like about getting further into the podcast because there's some things that we covered in season one that now if I cover it again will be completely different with the way I look at it, the way I research it, the way I do it. So I'm actually really excited to tell you guys about the stuff that I that I found for this episode. I think anyone who's been listening to us since season one is going to be really happy. Well, let's get into a quick Reddit then for the, and then we'll hop into your episode because I'm excited for it too. I know we've talked about ghosts a lot on Reddit and stuff like that. That's like the big thing that you'll find on Reddit the most. It's the one with the, I think the most like sub like like yeah. conversations there's so right. many and we've heard of crazy things happening people seeing people other people showing up people that they know but we've never actually heard of a phone call so this is one that caught my eye instantly and this is from john boy 94 and it says ghost call and i was like a call from a ghost I haven't heard this one yet so this is interesting it's short but sweet i just wanted to get this off my chest somehow this just happened yesterday and this person posted it about a month ago. I work for a call center and we get calls from seniors ordering from a catalog for over-the-counter items. I'm a lead and I help the advocates when they need it. One day, an advocate called me and said she had a member on the phone who wanted to place an order. But when she looked up her account, it was showing she was inactive with us. She called to see if I could see why it was inactive. She told me the member sounded super confused and couldn't even remember her birthday. I checked deeper into her account and it showed the Social Security office had reported that she passed away two months ago. We asked the member to verify everything she could. She could only verify her name and address and both matched. We didn't want to tell her it was showing she was deceased. We just had her call her health insurance since they are the one who take care of the accounts and we just placed the orders. I keep thinking about that call and how the member sounded so confused with everything she said. There could be an explanation maybe to it all, but deep down, I honestly feel it was something somewhat paranormal. I mean normally you really have to be deceased for it to come up on your records. So I'm just, it would just be too coincidental to have someone with the same name and same address and same day. Like there, there wouldn't be someone with the same name and address as that person, the same age, same everything at the same telephone number. And she also calls two months after. So it's like, it's not like she called 
and got a refill a week ago and then here she is and suddenly it's like there could be right, an so it's error. Like, it's like she's been using the medication and it's time it's for her two to get months. It. So it's like it almost sounds like maybe she's stuck and there was this veil between the living and the dead and she crossed it and just was living her normal life. It's like the sixth sense. She didn't know she yeah. was dead. It was a sixth sense phone call. I would have quit that job. Like right then and there. That would have <laughs> been a phone it. call. So I'm really excited for today's episode. I am revisiting an old topic, just a little bit different twist, I guess. And it's something that Christy and I feel very, very strongly about. We have repeatedly talked about this throughout the three seasons. Um, you know what this is about already. Like, even if you haven't listened to every episode, if you just randomly pick it, you're still going to hear us talk about it. And it is Ouija boards. We have talked time and time again. So please stop fucking <laughs> using them. Today, I'm revisiting our, like, it was honestly one of our more popular episodes Probably not in a good way. I think I really creeped everybody out because my friend still hates me for it. And it's been, it's been like, what, how long since season I covered one, it? I think. It was, it was season one, episode 24, which is why I said the Son of Sam thing was crazy. Cause that's, that was my next episode after that. But it was season one, episode 24. It was called Agricola Est and Agri. It was one of my favorite episodes, not just because of the topic, but because Christy had to get drunk yeah. to get through it. Cause I was creeping her out so bad. I was um, very drunk at the end. It, I remember that. Yes. Like you can, you can hear it. So if you if you have listened to it, listen to it again because it's funny. If you haven't, please listen to it because it's a very good episode and Chrissy's hilarious when she's drunk. I got a really good reaction from people out of it, specifically a friend of mine who was like traveling on a bus in the dark and decided to listen to that episode. And Ooh, big mistake. I'll, I'm going to see him tomorrow. So I'm just going to like give him a little heads up like, hey, next episode, don't watch it on a dark bus. So I am doing a Ouija board case, but um, I'm covering pretty uh, these pretty crazy cases. There's four of them that I'm going to cover. And there were a lot of cases to choose from. So I'm basically going to be talking about people who murdered and the Ouija board was the reason. Hmm. So it's specifically murder because like somehow a Ouija board was involved. Murder by Ouija. Yeah, it's like it, a Ouija board is involved in every single one of these murders. Now I am going to go through these four cases. I'm, I'm going to give you as much detail as possible without deep diving into them because honestly, I could probably have made a full episode out of any of these cases, but I wanted to tie them all together because I found it so crazy that I happened to Google like murder and Ouija board and so many cases where somebody murdered someone and blamed the Ouija board came up. Here I go. The first story is um, Maddie Turley. After a Ouija board seance sesh on November 8th, 1933 in Prescott, Arizona, 15-year-old Maddie Tur- Turley killed her father, Ernest Surly. She claimed that she shot him because, quote-unquote, the board could not be denied. That's creepy. Basically, the seance was led by her mother. So please do not do seances, and please do not have You know what's interesting, though? Because you said 1930s. It seems like this was pre-television, and it seemed like this was a form of entertainment for a lot of families. Well, remember, if you go back to the Ouija board episode... Christy knows that that's, you know, that it was made for entertainment yeah. originally. But yeah, this was definitely pre having other things to do. So if anybody's going to get kind of a pass, it's going to be people who grew up in this age. But I'm sorry if you do a Ouija board after the 50s, it's your <laughs> fault. Okay, so the seance was led by her mother, Dorothea Irene Turley. And the Ouija board told Maddie to, quote unquote, shoot daddy after he milked the cows. Because obviously you want the cows milked first. Cows move like crazy if you don't milk them. Right, because you don't want to have to like kill your dad and then milk the cows <laughs> because that's just like a lot to do in a day. She wanted, she was told to kill her her dad after he milked the cows. Um, and the Ouija board, all knowing and almighty, also told Maddie that nobody would find out that she murdered her father. 
So supposedly, uh, Maddie's mother, Dorothea, mentioned that she, because, you know, this is, I'm going to say this as someone who had a very weird relationship with their mother. This seems like a weird relationship. So apparently Dorothea told her 15-year-old daughter that she wanted to marry a handsome cowboy. So this was a plot. And this I guess, was basically a, a plot. Right. So I guess the only way that it could happen was to murder him and blame it on a Ouija board. But my whole thing is like, why are you telling your 15-year-old daughter that? Like, if I was 15, I'd be like, why are you fucking telling me this? Like, that's not normal. Please tell me if this is normal. I'm pretty sure it's not normal to tell your 15-year-old daughter that you want to marry a handsome cowboy when you're married to her father. Especially if it's your father. It's one thing if it's like your stepdad or your mom's dating somebody and they casually say it as a joke. But to be like, hey, kill your dad because I want to marry a cowboy is pretty direct. So basically, that's what she told her. This was like prior to the Ouija board session. And then the Ouija board told her to kill their dad, her dad after he milked the cows. And then, you know, she needed a second opinion after the Ouija board. So they use a deck of playing cards to confirm what the almighty Ouija board had already told her. And the, the cards also confirmed that they needed to shoot her father. And so after her father milked the cows, Maddie shot and killed her father, who was a former U.S. Navy chief gunner's mate. And to me, it's like you survived the army just to be shot by your little 15 year old daughter because your wife was being inappropriate. Because she, she wanted like, to ride those just, cowboys. I understand it was the 30s, but like. Just have an affair, like yeah, a normal right? person. Affair over murder. That's the only time I condone an extramarital affair. Right, like if you ask me which one, I'm going to be like, well, they're both kind of wrong. But I mean, if that's the only option, then I guess affair. If there's two options, the affair is better than I'm killing just gonna, someone. I mean, because I know divorce probably, it wasn't a thing here. It was, it was a lot more taboo. But it's like, all right, if this is after like the 60s, 70s, 80s, where divorce became more popular, then I just be like, dude, just get divorced. But being that this was the 30s, I'm like, all right, please don't kill him. Just fucking have an affair. I'm sure we could have found a handsome cowboy that would have you know, slipped in while he was milking the cows and, you know, they would have to do. So then these geniuses, right, they, the sheriff obviously comes because the dude's dead and they tell the sheriff that Maddie had been following her father about 30 feet back when she tripped and the shotgun that she apparently just randomly happened to be holding went off because that's what we all do. We all just walk around with the fucking shotgun 30 feet behind our father and then trip and shoot a shotgun. (laughs) But... The investigator, who was obviously smarter than a 15-year-old that listens to a Ouija board and a deck of playing cards, said that that couldn't be possible because Ernest, Ernest's wounds could only have been done if the shotgun was held by someone 10 feet away from him. So the 30 foot away is not happening. And they had to be standing upright. So the whole I tripped and the gun went off, that's not consistent with the way his wounds were. You had to be standing completely upright and 10 feet away. So she basically just shot her father like in the face. Well, not in the face. It was, I think, I believe it was in the back. But it was very close and very intentional. And you know what? It also must have been really bad because in the 30s, it seems like like so many people got away with killing. So it has to be like botched. You you really botched this. this Yeah, like you really fucked this up because it was really easy to get away with shit in the 30s. They didn't have DNA or like ballistics and shit. I mean, if the Ouija board told you you weren't going to get caught, I'm pretty sure it should have told you not to do this. <laughs> exactly. The Ouija board was definitely like, oh, this should be easy because it's 1930. But, you know, she fucked it up. So, of course, after they tell her, like, dude, your stuff doesn't add up, she confessed and she stated, quote, I killed my daddy and I want to pay for it. That's the only way I can show the world and him how sorry I am. Quote. She was arrested, as was her mother, Dorothea. Um, Dorothea was tried for assault with intent to murder and she was convicted and sentenced to 10 to 25 years. However, her conviction was overturned in 1936 and she was sentenced. Why? Which is crazy. 
because convictions don't really get overturned. If this had happened today, the mother would have been held more responsible than the 15 year old. She was here, too, because Maddie was just sentenced to six years at the state school for girls. That's all she got because she was only 15. You can't really do it. Yeah, but her mom got the same exact years, basically, right? She was set free yeah, after six so years. so it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense why you sh- they would be held basically equally accountable. I guess they figured, like, she's free, so she should be free. I don't know. I didn't find out. Like I said, I didn't deep dive into it. No, it's the 1930s. That's why I got... It's the and 1930s. It was women. They never so. like to, like, throw women in the same amount of time as men. That was my first crazy case, which is crazy, but you know that it wouldn't be an episode without more crazy because people will never fucking stop playing with Ouija boards. I have another case that dates back to the 1930s. So again, they're going to kind of get a pass, but they're also not going to get a pass with this one because this one was a little different. So this takes place on March 6, 1930, when uh, Henry Marchand came home from school to find his mother Clotilde Marchand sprawled across the floor of the first floor of their home. So their floor, their home had multiple floors. She was like on the landing of the first floor. So because she was on the landing of the first floor, uh, initially people just figured that she, you know, took a tumble down the stairs and, you know, just fell the wrong way and and passed away that way. But when she went to the medical examiner, they found some injuries that were not consistent with her just accidentally falling. They had, uh, she had bloody gashes, uh, some signs that she had physically struggled with someone and they also smelled chloroform like someone had put it over her mouth so at this point police were brought in to investigate they quickly found um two suspects but i'm gonna go into mrs marchand's husband also named henry he was like an artist he did like i don't know they keep calling it dioramas and but apparently he used to use um native american women as his uh naked models so he was very very close with like the seneca tribe and their healers so that's I'm saying this because okay. it's important. Um, so the two women who were suspects were Lila Jimerson and Nancy Bowen. Nancy Bowen was a, Ch- a Seneca tribal healer. And then there's Lila Jimerson, who was a really close friend of Nancy Bowen, who we find out later on actually had an affair with Henry Marchand. But Lila was the first to be arrested. When she was arrested, she ratted out her friend Nancy Bowen. She said that Nancy was the one who told her that Mrs. Marchand was a quote-unquote white witch. And that Mrs. Marchand had used her witch powers to kill Nancy's husband. Because he had recently passed away. And he was also a Seneca healer. How did they come to the conclusion that Mrs. Marchand was a witch who killed this man for absolutely no reason? Because there literally would be no reason for her to kill Nancy Bowen's husband. They came to the conclusion that Mrs. Marchand was a witch that killed the man for no reason from the good old Ouija board, because the Ouija board is all knowing. The two women said that they got, they were looking for an explanation into why Nancy's husband Charlie died, because, you know, their own, like, they had no idea. And the only way that they could possibly find out how Charlie died was to ask about the <laughs> Ouija board. So the Ouija board told them. They killed me. That was what the Ouija board said. And they were like, okay, who's they? And the Ouija board said Clotilde, which Clotilde was Mrs. Marchand's first name. So after the seance, before they killed her, this is right after the seance, Nancy receives a bunch of letters signed by a Mrs. Dooley that stated that Clotilde was a witch who put a hex on Charlie out of jealousy. What she would be jealous of, I have no fucking clue. Because Nancy wasn't even the one who had the affair with her husband. So... And I don't, I never, like, there's nothing that states who the hell sent these letters, but the letters also stated, quote, her witchcraft didn't work so good, so she decided to kill him, which it's like, the witchcraft obviously worked if he died. I couldn't kill him via witchcraft, so I'm actually gonna kill him now. 
Right. Like, so what was, what, what was the point of that? But anyway, so on the day of the murder, Nancy Bowen went to the home and knocked on the door and, you know, confronted Mrs. Marchand saying, no, you're a witch and you killed my husband. And, you know, um, I asked a Ouija board and they said you. And so then she pulls out a hammer and beats Mrs. What Marchand. What the fuck, man? And then stuffs a paper towel soaked with chloroform down her throat, which is why they smell the chloroform. These people are crazy. There's two trials. In the first trial, they actually speak to Clotilde's husband, Henry. And he basically had to admit that Lila Jemison was one of his lovers. Actually, one of his many lovers. Because according to him, quote, there were too many to Wow. What an asshole. Wait, wait. No, no. (laughs) You think he's an asshole? He said it was his, quote, professional necessity to seduce Native American women because it made them more, like, willing to pose naked for his art. So he was basically a skeevy perv who was painting women he slept with. Got it. He, he was already taking a vulnerable population and making them more vulnerable. Then this douche fucking bag claims that his wife was totally cool with it. No, knew it. Didn't yeah. Care. Okay. Sure. That totally sounds legit. This is every man who's ever been responsible for hurting or killing or emotionally abusing a woman always claims. Oh, she knew about it. and She was okay with it. Lila was supposed to take the stand, I guess. Um, but she ended up suffering a flare-up of, like, some respiratory condition that she had. So they called it a mistrial. But she... And she had also, like... She was in a hospital. And she had pled guilty. And then she took it back. Hmm. So that's why they were like, all right, mistrial. So now they did another trial a year later. And this time, she did testify. And she said that she was in love with Mr. Marchand, but it had nothing to do with his wife's murder. Because that totally makes sense. She then turned the tables and accused Mr. Marchand of killing his wife because she said he claimed that he was sick of her. So at least there's some truth in that. There probably is. I'm sure he knew about it. But here's the thing. She ends up getting acquitted and freed. He was never arrested or charged. And then Nancy Bowen ends up getting released after pleading guilty to manslaughter. And she just accepted the sentence of time served. So nobody really takes responsibility for killing this woman. And... By the time the second trial had happened, remember, this is only a year after the first trial. And back then, trials didn't take years to start either. They happened pretty, quick, pretty much right. right after the crime. So a year after his wife dies, this fucking asshole moved to Albany and married his dead wife's 18-year-old niece. Ew, ew, ew. That's disgusting. Oh, my God. I hope this guy's in hell. And the case really bothers me, not only because he's just a gross ass perv, but like nobody took responsibility for killing this poor woman. It's like they didn't give a shit about her like women then, they don't give a shit about now, but like it's, it's, there's no resolution. The only person who suffered any type of consequence was Bowen and she, whatever, she got time served. Wow. So like, what, what did you really do? Like you killed a woman and you served what, a year in jail? So now my next case is a bit of a doozy. This one's more recent, so there's absolutely no forgiveness for using a Ouija board. This happened in 2001. Well aware of what Ouija boards do. You have TV. There's plenty of stuff to do. February 2001, 53-year-old woman named Carol Sue Elvaker from Oklahoma. Okay? Now, this woman has no criminal record, no history of violence, no history of mental illness. None. She's just I'm sorry, what year did you say? 53-year-old. 2001. So, regular 53-year-old woman just living her life in Oklahoma. And she ends up killing her son-in-law, 34-year-old Brian Roach. Uh-oh. She don't like him. She don't like him. She don't, she don't like him. According to Carol, she and her two granddaughters, age 10 and 15, had used a Ouija board. Now, again, stop using Ouija boards and stop using them with your kids, your grandkids, or anybody else. But apparently, during this little seance with her grandkids, the Ouija board 
told her that her son-in-law, a.k.a. the kid's father, was possessed by an evil spirit and must be murdered. Right in front of his kids. Ouija board just called out the father, said he's possessed by an evil spirit. So I love how she something then, that is made of wood, a planchette, and some writing can d- decide who's evil. Wouldn't that seem like that thing should be more evil I mean, than... I'm going to go with the Ouija right. board is what, evil. Wasn't, wouldn't it make more sense that the actual Ouija board be evil versus the human that's controlling the Ouija board? Right, it's like, like, well, I'm evil, so I can tell you who's evil. <laughs> They've got like... Trust me, I I have evil radar. I know, I know, because I'm also evil. So then, naturally, the logical thing for her to do after the Ouija board tells her that her son-in-law is possessed by an evil spirit, she stabs him in the chest. I was literally going like this. I was doing the stabbing motion. I'm watching Christy, and she literally just did the stab while I was saying that. You know why I know this is bullshit? Because I'm calling her out on her murder. Because stabbing is when you truly hate someone. And this is a... She sounds like a monster-in-law. And yes. she hated this guy. Like, this is what it sounds like to me. I knew she was going to stab him. I knew it. But wait, that's not all. She then decides or thinks that the 10-year-old is also evil and also tried to stab her. But she didn't. But she tried to. What? Because the girl, her daughter, the girl's mother, Tammy, got the, got the knife away from her and, like, hit it. But then got her mother and her two kids into a car and drove off, leaving her husband to bleed to death. Did not help her husband at all. Just left him there. He was begging for his life, begging for help, and she left him there. Wait, why did she do that, though? Well, she gets into a car with her mother, with her two kids, and then Carol intentionally crashes the car to try to kill them all, but does it? She just, she breaks both of her own ankles, and then... Tammy had some minor injuries, but the kids were okay. Even with two broken ankles, this did not stop Carol from pushing her 15-year-old granddaughter into oncoming traffic, trying to kill her, which it didn't. Um, And then stripping naked and running through the woods, claiming that the evil spirit that had possessed Brian was also now inside of her. She sounds like she's having a mental breakdown. That's what this sounds like. Right, but she had no history of mental illness, so that's what's weird. What's a mental breakdown? It can happen at any time. The police found her in the woods and arrested her, and she was charged with first-degree murder, and then they charged her daughter with accessory to murder because she hid the knife, supplied the getaway vehicle, and left she the left dude. him there to bleed to death. Yeah. Police said, you did nothing to help your husband, who was begging for help, but left to bleed to death instead. Carol ends up getting not found getting found not guilty by reason of insanity, because obviously she, she really it. It sounds like something went wrong, seriously. Something definitely went wrong. I tried to, I, I, I read a bunch of articles on this case. I did not find what happened to the daughter, Tammy, but I'm going to keep looking. And if I find it, I will let you guys know in a future episode. But um, the, the mother just was found not guilty. And what's nuts about that is maybe you hate your son-in-law, but like your grandkids too. Like there's some kind of possession or something that like took over her brain. And I wonder if she pled guilty by reason of insanity and still is possessed according to her or if it was a one-time thing. Did you get away with murder or did you right. and pretend you were crazy? Are you insane and you're still insane and you're still a danger? Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's now 2021 and we haven't heard anything. So I guess we haven't. But still, that's crazy. So maybe she's I or she's dead. Let's be real. So now I'm on my last story, which took place in 2007, December 19th in West Richland, Washington. It all started with a call that police got from uh, I might be pronouncing this last name wrong, but it's the Shalchlin family home they received a call from the home but it was like a hang-up call but they were concerned enough that they still visited the home i guess that's what it's like in cities where 
maybe police actually care because in New York, they definitely would not have come to your house if you hung up on them. Like they don't even come sometimes when you call. Oh, yeah, no way. And when they got there, they found a 15 year old Donald Shalchlin and a 16 year old boy named Joshua Tucker, who um, some articles say he was staying there. Some say he was living there at the time. But either way, these two boys, they caught them trying to like flee in a white truck. So they immediately like stop them and like take them into custody. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? And had absolutely no idea the insanity that they were about to walk into. They opened the door and walked into a bloodbath. Just inside, like, the door that they opened was the body of Donald's little sister, 13-year-old Elizabeth Shashlin. Her throat was slashed. Then police, you know, continue to investigate the home, and they find Donald's mother, Lori, lying in a back bedroom, severely beaten, but still alive. But unfortunately, she passed away on her way to the hospital. Now, they start investigating, and they figured out that it was actually Joshua Tucker who committed both murders, but Donald, the son and brother of the victims, was an accomplice. Um, once they started, like, piecing together what, was ha- what happened that night, they spoke to witnesses, and one of the witnesses stated, quote, the screaming was like a machine, for lack of a better term, something agonizing, someone yelling, pigs must die, death to all pigs, things like that. So now what was the motive behind all these killings? Just like in our our previous cases, a Ouija board. It seems that according to, I have a couple of articles, not all of them went into the details of what happened with Donald and Joshua, but some of them stated that Donald and Joshua had bought a Ouija board while out Christmas shopping. um, Because, you know, you go Christmas shopping, you buy a Ouija board. (laughs) Apparently. And then they brought it home and decided to play with it. And so, you know, like the normal questions people ask Ouija boards, they're like random shit, trying to conjure up spirits. No, these two... Ask the Ouija board if they would become serial killers. What? Wait a minute. If they themselves would become serial killers? Right, because... That's something you can't determine yourself? Right, you need a Ouija board to tell you. Because, you know, apparently Ouija boards are just confirmations of stuff. We confirm it with Ouija boards. So I guess the Ouija board confirmed it with them, and then when they asked who would be, like, their first victim, the board spelled out mom. I mean, I guess they were going to assume that it was Donald's mom because they were there. So on the night of the murders, uh, Donald and Joshua had been drinking alcohol and cough syrup and hanging out. Donald's little sister, Elizabeth, just decided to innocently, like 14, 13-year-old girls do, make a phone call. Now at that time, 2007, I was only 21, so I had a phone, but I can imagine, like, it's it's a thing now that all all 13-year-olds have cell phones, but back then, you most people didn't have mm-hmm. a cell phone until they were older, college, high school. So she was probably using the house phone. Um, so she was just calling, like she was on a phone call and while she was on the phone, Joshua took out a knife and slashed her throat. Then when Donald's mother, Lori came like looking for her daughter, Joshua attacked her, chased her, stabbed her several times until the knife actually broke. And then Donald, her son handed him a dumbbell and a meat cleaver to like continue to, to, to beat her. So he didn't do it, but he gave him tools to continue. Right, he He was there and he helped, he helped them. And then they found out that it was actually Lori who had mustered up enough energy to make that 911 call, but she, like, you know, she couldn't say anything. Now, they were both arrested. They were convicted. uh, Joshua, the friend, um, was sentenced to 41 years, but Donald was only given nine and a half years. I guess because he was, like, technically didn't do the murders? He didn't do the murders, and he was only 15, so I'm guessing that they didn't feel comfortable giving him... Right. Joshua was only 16, but maybe there's a, maybe the rule at that time was 16, that 16 adults. Was old enough. Yeah. He like technically did the actual killings versus. He physically killed them in like not all states 
have everybody's that a little law weird about that. that. If, yeah. Right. Like there's some states that have a law that if you were any part of the of the crime, you get the same charges, which is why some people who have driven getaway vehicles will get the same amount of time as somebody who physically committed mm-hmm. a murder, but not every state does that. So maybe Washington isn't one of those states. But that was that was the time that they got. Essentially he got nine he got less than ten years for killing. So he's already out. Par- he's already yeah. out. Because this happened in 2007. Mm. He's been out for a couple of years. Wow, crazy. And those are my four crazy cases of murders that happened because of Ouija boards. So please stop playing with Ouija boards. If you didn't think it before, you can definitely think it now. If you're bold enough to like take the life of someone else, then be bold, then be man or woman enough to take the consequence and not blame a piece of wood. Like if you're going to murder somebody you're a piece of shit blaming it on a ouija board isn't going to make you less of a piece of and shit. i do believe in possessions but i've never heard of an immediate possession and that's what makes me not believe it like possessions take over time like we've done cases where ouija boards have started and they start by slowly introducing them right themselves it doesn't into the really family work like and the thing is like she if you pay attention to any type of demonic possessions if he indeed was possessed which i'm not saying he was the only way it would have happened to her is she had to have killed him first for the, the evil entity to then jump into her. So you can't say that the Ouija board made you do it because technically you weren't possessed until after Brian died. Because technically you said that he was possessed, right? So how did he... It can't be both. Totally. People are nuts. And Christy was sober this time, so she, she has Ooh, to pay attention. Yeah, that was rough. But And this was more murdery than it was Ouija? Right. And it's a, it, murder doesn't scare us as much as like, yeah. the other Ouija board cases. Plus, that was also like we recorded that later on at night and it was kind of more creepy. We're like, in, it's still like yeah. it's like four something. It's like still light outside. <laughs> so it's a little less creepy. But yeah, guys, Ouija boards, please no, don't make us tell you again. No mas, por favor. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who does, Who does that? that? I found this on torontosun.com, but it did happen in the Ameri- in Amer- the United oh, States. I was about to get all excited that it happened in Canada. No, Canada loves to report on us. So <laughs> we give you the material kind of like Florida gives it to us. Are we there, Florida? We're there, Florida, are we? We're the world's Florida. Okay, so this is Alabama woman with unusual name pleads guilty to bank robbery. Doesn't sound super exciting, but you'll see why as we go. It seems appropriate that someone named Iconic Facha delivers a memorable mugshot. An Ozark, Alabama woman who goes by the legal name Iconic Facha was convicted of two counts of armed robbery after pleading guilty to Gulfport, Mississippi bank holdup two years ago, reports the New York Post. You can't be doing illegal shit with a name like that. Facha, 39, who was born under her birth name of Jimmy Maurice Lawrence II. Oh, so her name, her real name is no better. Yeah. Was allegedly involved in the bank as allegedly involved in the bank robbery to fund her sexual reassignment plastic surgery, according to AL.com. See, that, that just kind of makes me feel bad because I'm like, well, why, why does she have to resort to that? Right. Who does that part for me will come. You'll see why. Her trial was set for June 28th, but she requested to plead guilty beforehand. And the circuit judge sentenced Facha to the maximum term of 15 years on each count to run concurrently. Police in Goldport, Mississippi, say they became aware of her presence in the bank by a hidden alarm and activated in the branch. When authorities arrived, police told them that the suspect had approached a teller window and handed over a hand-scrawled note that read, you have one minute to give me the money. Do not be wrong or die. While the tellers didn't see a weapon, they did recall the suspect had a swollen face that seemed to indicate recent cosmetic surgery. Look at this person's mugshot, dude. Why would you rob somebody looking like this with no mask on? You you just wanted to get caught. This is the point of my who does that. Please describe what you're seeing, Vic. 
You know that, okay, so for those of you who have Instagram, there's a filter that goes around that makes it look like you have these huge, ridiculous cheekbones and huge, ridiculous lips, and it's, like, supposed to be ridiculous, but she looks like that for real. She has tape going across her nose like she just had a nose job. Her cheeks are huge. Her lips are, like, duck lips, and her face just looks super swollen. Her eyes are, sw- everything is swollen, and it's, like. It looks like she on- got out of surgery, walked down the block, and, and robbed the bank. And literally walked right in. And robbed the yeah. bank. And this is where I was like, who does that? Because if you, you can't hide that face, you should not be putting that face in front of me because I will remember and then you that face. you can't hide that name. I'll remember because... your face forever. That's it. There's no getting away with that when you look unless like she thought, Unless she thought, like, if I get away with it long enough for my swelling to go down, they'll never recognize me. But then she But got then right the away. robbery was also captured on the bank's surveillance system. While an, <laughs> well, all banks have surveillance systems. What are you doing? And while her, an abandoned Cadillac parked nearby was traced back to Facha. So she, she used her own vehicle? An old abandoned vehicle that was registered under her name. In the, oh, or girl. under Jimmy Lewis. I'm not really sure exactly who it was. Facha was eventually detained at Houston's George Bush International Airport on, in March after entering the country from Mexico, presumably having had some surgery given subsequent mugshots showed her supporting surgical tape around her nose. Earlier, Facha was found guilty of another bank robbery in January of 2009 in Alabama and served 51 months in that case, which she reportedly demanded the teller to give her at least $20,000. So this is the second robbery Girl, you're just not good at it. Like after the first one, I would have been like, I need to figure out another. And way I'm to sorry, make some money because you did it. You did it. No get away robbery with it. was worth that face. Like honestly, that face is not good. Like it wasn't worth it. It was not worth the time you're going to spend in jail and the time you spent in the past. Because that is one of the worst botched jobs I've ever seen. I don't know where she's going to get her her shit done. She needs to go to Colombia or DR because wherever she's going to Mexico is fucking her face up. So. <laughs> It's like very sad, but it's just like I can't. I can't feel like, empathy for you when you go rob someplace right after you have like post surgery face. I can't have empathy for you when you already got caught once and then tried to do it again. Or you know what would make sense? Even if you wore a little clear plastic mask, you could say, okay, maybe her, maybe she, she they would have thought her mashed face was her face yeah. into it. But no, she went with her face like that and handed with a note her whole face and out an abandoned and, and Cadillac. Come, Come on, on, you fucking up, girl. Come on, you want to get caught? You, Let's you, be real. That's what I say. You, she has to have wanted to get caught because there's no way you do that after you. After and you, you got, got caught, caught the first before. time. You're supposed to get better. You're supposed to get better at your crime, and you did not get better at your crime. So I thought you would enjoy that. I did enjoy it. Well, this episode isn't as haunting as much as the Ouija one, but definitely something to think about. Like, subscribe, give us a review. The most important thing is to stay weird, Americas. Bye. Bye.